With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For a generation who will start watching the beautiful game this summer at the World Cup, this is their new normal. They will have iconic and dramatic World Cup moments and memories associated with video review decisions. Hello, Sunshine. I am Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we were talking about, oh yes, that evergreen chestnut VAR video review. We will also have our Mossy Makes the Case segment, as always. We'll be answering your questions with our Ask Alexi segment. We also have our new segment, which is World Cup Update. We are now, what is it, 99 days out. From the World Cup this summer in Russia. But as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a soccer researcher and writer here at Fox Extraordinaire. How are you, my friend? I am good. Big Inter Milan theme today. I'm rocking a Ronaldo, and I also brought an Adriano. Wow, yes. For those that can't uh, see, he is looking spectacular in this Inter Milan jersey. Uh, Who's the other one? This one's Ronaldo. The other one's what? Remember Adriano? Mm Mm-hmm. Imperatore, who uh, went off the deep end uh, after a couple of good years, but still was... uh, (laughs) Do you have any jerseys that don't have Brazilians on the back? I actually have a Christian Vieri Inter Milan... uh, but, uh, That's the ultimate that compliment from, from you, I would think. Absolutely. To have somebody like that. I also that. have an Ian Joy St. Pauli. You're the one. I, I was in New York this week, Mossy. Uh, real quick quick story. Uh, we did a bunch of promo for the World Cup this summer, and I was at the NASDAQ. You know what the NASDAQ is? Sure. Of course. You, you got plenty of the money in the, uh, in the market there. We, uh, we rang the bell. It was fun. Myself uh, and my friends and colleagues, uh, Rob Stone and Fernando Fiore, kicking off the 100 days until the World Cup. It is going to come like that. Those 100 days are going to just go right by. I can't wait. Are you excited? Are you pumped? Can't wait. That's yeah, going to be fun. All right, listen, let's uh, let's light this candle. You ready? Yep. All right, as always, we start off the State of the Union podcast with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. To the surprise of no one, last week FIFA cleared the way for video review or VAR to be used at this summer's World Cup. Now, for those of us that follow Major League Soccer, the VAR train left the station a while ago. And for the more casual sports fan, video review is already embedded in other popular American sports, from football to basketball and even baseball. For the most part, it gets the call right. And at least we have the perception that the game is being called fairly and that calls won't be missed. And isn't that ultimately the point? Now, it won't go perfectly this summer, but progress and evolution never does. One of those evergreen complaints about VAR is often that it can rob us and the players of that traditional moment of celebration, joy, and release when a goal is scored. We're now sometimes faced with this premature celebration and or a delayed gratification when a goal is reviewed and a decision is made. But soccer, like all sports, is entertainment. The theater and the drama and the performance have always been as important as the tools and the skills and the craft. As humans, we love the suspense of a countdown or a big reveal or the verdict, that moment when we hold our breath knowing it can go either way. VAR is really just creating a new and different moment of tension and suspense followed by the payoff. 
And for a generation who will start watching the beautiful game this summer at the World Cup, this is their new normal. They will have iconic and dramatic World Cup moments and memories associated with video review decisions that perhaps trigger the joy or the sadness of an entire nation. Video review is here to stay. It won't be like before, but it doesn't need to be. And that is this week's State of the Union. Mossy, what do you have to say about video review? Well, I'm a lifelong proponent of video replay, which speaks well of my character because Brazil got all the calls, so I love refereeing mistakes. You love it. But what's right is right. Uh, so I think we need some element of it in the game. We should definitely keep trying to improve it. But the one issue we're running into, I think we all agree that we need to eliminate the Maradona hand of God goals, the Thierry Henry hand ball against Ireland, the Portland-Columbus thing a couple years ago, MLS Cup final, where the ball was two yards out of bounds. Uh, blatant, obvious mistakes like that that are objective, not subjective. But fouls are inherently subjective. Two people can look at a replay sure. and still disagree. So anything where you're dealing with a penalty, red card... A foul and the buildup to a goal, there's still some area there for it to be subjective. And so there's a debate to be had about how much we want VAR involved in those decisions, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things. When this first started coming out, I was concerned that this subjective nature of our game, which I think when, when we talk about the beautiful game, for me, the beauty lies in the subjectivity of this game, those gray areas, the fact that it's not black and white, it's not spoon-fed, it's not fast food. There are opinions on everything. And that's that for me, uh, not just in terms of the job that I do and wanting to have uh, and continue to foster debate and discussion about it and, and create content, but just when I'm watching the game, I like the fact that it is not clear cut and it hasn't been. And I was worried that by implementing video review, that was going to be taken out of it. What we've really found is that we're still arguing about calls. We're just we're, we're arguing about human beings making uh, decisions, albeit much more informed decisions. But we're still having these arguments. So I'm fine. I'm fine with it as it goes along. I think there is a, a concern right now with how long it takes to get to these moments. But that's uh, that's I think a function of a lot of of referees and leagues that are just trying this. And at, at the beginning, that's that's going to change. That's going to change over time. But you mentioned something earlier I want to ask you. Do you think the game of soccer is better or worse from the Maradona hand of God? Because you said, I, I, you just you just completely blanketed it and said, oh, we, we, we should go back and we should change those, uh, those obvious types of things. I would argue that part of the history and part of the allure and the romance and the fact that it isn't clear-cut is that moment. It is an iconic moment. And wouldn't we be less without that? Well, that moment in particular has taken on kind of a mythical quality because of who it involved and the circumstances. But generally speaking, I think we should try to avoid obvious, blatant mistakes like that that reduce a game to a farce. I mean, if I was a country that worked for four years and then I lost and went out of the World Cup on a play like that, I'd be furious if there was technology that could prevent that. So uh, that's where I say we definitely need some element of video replay to uh, eliminate instances like that, but then we can debate beyond that how much video replay we need. So, but so no, I don't agree with you. I, it's going to look. It's going <laughs> to change. It's going to be refined as we go on. And so the time between the moment when a review is happening to when that decision is made is going to come down. It's not going to be as long going forward. The concept of not having that that legendary and historical type of moment that we all associate with when the ball goes in the back of the net and having that taken away from us and as players celebrating and not having that, you know, that moment when Tardelli's running around, if in the modern day, he would have had to say, well, I might've been offside. I wasn't offside or maybe been a foul. There isn't a foul and I have to wait in that delay. Do you think that that takes something away? 
Yeah, it does. I mean, what they should do is somebody should be watching the game upstairs, and if there's something wrong, they buzz down the referee on the field. But until we hear otherwise, I think we should all assume that a ball goes to the net. It's a goal, and and, and keep going. So, I mean, there there's a way to do it where it doesn't completely eliminate that that moment. But I think right now, I feel like you know, like I said, there there's some work to be done here. It's funny because uh, offsides is a call that I would have put in the objective camp of of something that's black and white. Either you're ahead of the last defender, or you're not. But I'm finding that even that there seems to be this subjectivity if a guy's only a smidge off well should you give that if it's close does the benefit of the doubt go to the attacking player all that kind of stuff on on that uh, on that graphic going forward so but in general you're in favor of it yeah in general like it's it's not going anywhere it's going to continue on as i said it will get better as we go along i think it's going to happen this summer at the world cup now keep in mind that this summer with the world cup cruise while we in major league soccer we have uh men and women that are that are being trained and now have, have implemented that now over the last year. And so they're well on their way. There's going to be people at the World Cup, referees at the World Cup, that come from leagues and countries where it's not being used. They're going to have to get up to speed. And I know FIFA said they're going to train them and all that kind of stuff. But there's going to be some big mistakes on the world stage. Now, you work as an analyst for a lot of games. Uh, it, it was amusing. We did the Tottenham Rochdale yes. FA Cup match. And Stuart Robson, who's a former player, respected analyst, the first two plays they reviewed, he got completely wrong. Tottenham scored a goal. They reviewed it. He watched the replay at various angles and said, there's no way they're taking this away. And sure enough, they took the goal away. Then a few minutes later, Tottenham had a penalty shout with Lucas Mora. They reviewed that. Uh, Stuart Robson saw the replay and said, that's a definite stone-cold penalty. Tottenham's going to get a penalty here. They, they didn't give anything. So uh, you as an analyst, are you ever going to feel safe looking at a replay and saying point blank, oh, yes, that, that replay proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's what the correct call is? Are you going to hedge a little bit? Because we're finding that you know a lot of this stuff is more subjective than we realize. This is, this is to my point. There are times where I will look at the replay, and in my mind, it's clear cut. And then maybe the video review will will at times say something different. Now, that's that's okay with me, all right? Because for the most part, they're getting it right. For the the most part, we see these things, yep, there it is, we get it, and all that kind of stuff. But there are going to be moments where, once again, that human eye and those those human beings that are making this decision, and until we actually have robots doing it, it's going to be human beings, it's still going to be subjective. Even things that we we prop up as not being subjective, there's still some uh, subjective nature. And even built into the rules, making it, it has to be clear and obvious when they actually do a uh, when I, when they actually call down to the ref, even in that it, it, it is uh, it is subjective. Uh, when we look back in time, you mentioned the Maradona thing from a United States perspective. When we look back, you know the handball in two thousand and two uh, that could have been called. So there's there's a million different things that we look back could be changed. And this is when we're talking about a World Cup or anything for that matter. When when you're an athlete. And you get to that pinnacle, you get to that platform in that moment where you're living out a dream to have that altered or taken away because of a call that wasn't made. We all accept the fact that, that, that that's going to be part of being uh, part of being an athlete. But man, oh man, at the World Cup level, and it's going to happen uh, this summer, there's going to be a mistake made. But it's a mistake being made in an effort to try to get the call right. Because that's all I heard for years. I just want to get the call right. Well, careful what you wish for. Because at times, not at times, a lot of times we are getting the call right. But in our effort to do that, have we made it into a different game? Which goes back to my original point where there is a generation now that's going to incorporate video review into their into into the romance of their game. So there's going to be a point where we have a young kid who's watching the game, even though the ball has gone to the back of the net, 
and not just the kid, but the person that scored it, where they're putting their hands over their face, waiting for that moment, and that moment of tension and drama while we wait for the arbiter to come on and say yes or no. And then in that moment, that's where that celebration has. So we're just, we're just prolonging it to a different uh, minute, and it's not going to be traditional in the way that you or I did. But you know what? It's not, it's not your dad's soccer anymore. Moving on, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case. Yep, you heard it. It's time for Mossy Makes the Case. All right, David, what do you got for us? Well, we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon after back-to-back days of uh, Champions League action. The first four quarterfinalists are Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Juventus. I said a couple weeks ago that whoever came out of the Real Madrid-PSG tie would be my favorites. I am sticking with that. To the extent that there is a favorite right now, I would go with Real Madrid. Uh, It is amazing how this competition brings out the best in them, no matter what's going on in La Liga. Ronaldo scoring goals for fun again. And more importantly, Zidane really got his mojo back in this tie against PSG. We talk about how Barcelona uh, have switched to a 4-4-2 this season. Real Madrid have done so as well lately. Lucas Vazquez and Asensio were great in this week's second leg down those flanks. Casemiro and Kovacic in the middle. The fact that they started the game without Kroos, Modric, Isco, or Bale and still played PSG off the park and won was very impressive to me. So uh, that's where I'm leaning right now. Do you buy Real Madrid as the favorites again to win it for the third consecutive season? I buy it because there is a pedigree and a experience. And we're going to talk a second about Juventus and how important that can be, an understanding of what it is when it really gets down to this. Uh, it is amazing how... It's almost as if they've just completely turned off on what has been a horrible campaign from a La Liga standpoint, and they can just focus all of their energy. And if you heard the interview after the game from Sergio Ramos, he said, Madrid is back. So they feel it. They, they know. That they can smell an opportunity where they don't have to worry about La Liga because that, that, that ship has, that has sailed. But they feel it. And it probably permeates all the way through to Zidane, who says, all right, because, and I, we'll talk a little bit later about, uh, about PSG, but it was really disappointing in terms of the way that PSG went out with a complete whimper. And uh, there's going to be some repercussions when it comes to that. We just got back from the other games, though. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I mean, at one point today, I'm not going to lie, my mossy makes the case was going to be about how the Premier League is is a class above this season. How quickly things how change. <laughs> they, were, they were making a run at La Liga's belt that La Liga's had the last four or five years because I based the whole best European League debate on results in the Champions League and Europa League. So all this other Premier League frabba means nothing to me. La Liga's had the belt the last four or five years. The Premier League is coming for it this season and they still might get it. But today's Tottenham-Juventus match was the first little hiccup here and it's even got Warren Barton wobbly. He's worrying now about Chelsea next week against Barcelona, Manchester United against Sevilla to England versus Spain clashes there. Uh, So we'll see what happens. But it was fascinating to see how quickly that game turned today. Tottenham were leading 1-0 in the second half, playing very well. They had been the better team in the tie, certainly up to that point. And then in a few minutes, the two Argentines, Higuain, Dybala. But you made a point of... uh, couple minutes ago that I want to go back to, experience. I think that ended up being the overriding theme coming out of these last two days. Real Madrid and Juventus, the two finalists last season, two clubs we know have that Champions League pedigree going up against PSG and Tottenham that don't, and I think that experience really showed. You said that you judge teams and, and the elite teams on their ability to have success in Champions League, but... And you, you talked about the... What'd you, what word did you use? Frabba-jabba. Hashtag that. Let's definitely get that out there. But what league doesn't have frabba-jabba? I mean... 
Well, no, my point is, you know, you know this. The, the Premier League stuff, I know, drives you cr- as crazy as it does me. Yep. You know, as far as Premier League fans are concerned, European results matter until they don't go their way. And then they come up with other rationalizations and other angles to argue that the Premier League is still the best league in the world. I don't buy that. To me, there's only one tangible thing we can point to where the leagues compete against each other. It's the Champions League and the Europa League. And the last four or five seasons, La Liga's clearly been superior in that regard. So to me, they have the belt. But the Premier League has shown some real signs this season and that that tide might be turning their way. And listen, you, you, you still have two uh, very good teams that have advanced, yep. Manchester City and Liverpool, who I think are both threats to win it. Uh, I don't discard any of these English teams that they're left going all the way and winning it. And so, you know, we'll see what happens next week. United, I would certainly favor them to go past Sevilla. Chelsea, maybe not against Barca. But so we'll see. We, the, the big takeaway after the season might still be that the Premier League did wrestle the title of best league in Europe back from La Liga. But I'm just saying, today, Spurs going out to events, it was the first little time they've been smacked in the mouth here this season because it's been all it's all been going well up to this point. All right, well to wrap this up, uh you re- you remain bullish on Real Madrid. For the Barcelona fans out there that are listening that are just uh, aggrieved at this at, at this incredible insult. What do you say to them? No, no, they they they're right there too. Excellent team. Valverde's really changed their identity this season. Like I said, they play more of a 4-4-2. They're more balanced, but I just think in this competition there's something about Real Madrid. There's this mystique they have that uh, I would have given them a slight edge at this point. Man, oh man. All right, bossy. Well, you're not going to be, you know, getting any Christmas cards from the uh, Barcelona faithful out there. But uh, I, I would agree with you, and we've talked about we've talked about this before because they can put all their eggs in that basket. They can concentrate, and as we've seen, the people that understand what it means when you get to this business end, and we saw it on display for Real Madrid that didn't miss a beat, and we saw it on display for Juventus. And as our uh, as our discussion on uh, on Fox stated, there there are no angels. All right, these uh, and and certainly if they are, they're not getting to the final. Uh, and when you look at Kalini or these types of players and it gets down and dirty, they take no prisoners. There's one angel, though, Barzagli. I thought it was very classy of him to apologize to Son for accidentally <laughs> stepping on him as he kept stepping on him for another 20 seconds. He even took one shot at the at the end that he missed. You know? <laughs> so, he hit a couple and then he even missed. All right, either way, Champions League getting down to it and uh, exciting. Uh, from an English standpoint, uh, w- one, one minute everything's good and then the next minute you could uh, have a bunch of teams out. But don't worry, you got Manchester City cruising along right now. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, indeed. It is our Ask Alexi segment, as you heard. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? All right, first up, at JamesD7902. If you could bring one more player to MLS, who would you have? One more player. All right, so I'm not going to do the whole thing where it's it's Messi and Ronaldo. Okay, we get it. If that's available, you you bring those types of players. But I'm also not just going to throw out some obscure player uh, that I would like to see. So in the middle, you have a player like, for example, today uh, we saw Douglas Costa, all right? This is a player with incredible speed and touch. And I think uh, Douglas Costa reminds me of somebody who would be playing for, let's say, a um, FC Dallas or something like that with this incredible run and gun uh, type of style, incredible speed that they use. Uh, And I'm not saying to, to FC Dallas, but that type of player that is always looking forward, that is always looking to take players on and has the physical abilities to do it. That would be interesting for me. And then let's say a much more, a bigger name, but not the ultimate elite. And I know uh, that he is going, he is on that way. But when, when we saw Harry Kane play today, all right, I think in a certain way, he fits in more 
playing in Major League Soccer than he does necessarily going to La Liga. And I know he's going to go, and it's and it's and it's going to be fine. But I think that he would be comfortable on and off the field, and I think he could do things off the field in a much more global and, and from an MLS perspective, a much more influential standpoint if you brought someone like him. Because I think he just, he he uses a confidence, but he's also got this humility in the way that he goes about his business that I think would be attractive to a lot of people out there. And obviously the dude scores goals. You have one? Do you have one that you would love to see? Well, let me just say, you prefaced it as saying, I'm not going to Mentioned somebody unrealistic like Messi and Ronaldo, and then you came back with Harry Kane. Yeah, why not? What? I think that's only slightly less unrealistic. It okay. What about uh, um... Douglas Costa? Yeah. What about Douglas Costa? I know you perked up because <laughs> he had a very good game today. He by did. The way. He had a really with, good game with uh, Chichi so. in attendance. Chichi was in attendance. And we'll, and we'll talk in our World Cup segment oh, about Brazil. Look at so. you teasing it for later on in the show. I love it. <laughs> All, All right. right, moving on. Yeah. At Stanton Tim J. Mm-hmm. In a previous podcast, oh, so this guy's a listener, you oh. talked a lot about team identity and previous identities of U.S. men's national teams. How did identity come about for your U.S. men's national teams during your playing career? So uh, the identity of a team, for me, is not formed by the players. It is, it is decided by a coach uh, or a technical director who says, I want to play roughly like this. And this is the template that I want. And for a national team, you're picking the best from all over. And even back in, the, in, in my day, there was still a process. I mean, we had a revolving door of players that came in trying out for uh, what ended up being the 1994 World Cup team. And it was win or go home. And that was that competition each and every day. And there's some very, very good professional players that came into that camp and didn't fit for whatever reason. So the the way that we played was dictated by our coach in this case, who said, this is the type of player I want, and this is how we are going to play. I just happened to fit that. It's not as if I came in and he said, all right, we're going to build the team around him, or we're going to change the way that we play around me. No, I came in, I understood from an, from an early moment in that team that this is how they wanted me to play, and this is, if I was going to be successful and stick around, I needed to play. And I remember him talking to me about the importance of set pieces and the importance of holding on to the ball and the importance of a back four moving, all of those, all of those different things. So for me, that identity, it came from that and then being put together with this group of players that all had yeah, a, a relative understanding of how we wanted to play, despite some, some very different backgrounds, but we all fit into the ultimate f- plan that our coach had. So that's, that's for me, for me, is where it comes from. And last question, at Dave the Goalie, which player would you say reminds you of yourself in terms of playing style? Omar Gonzalez, who is a former men's national team player, he maybe continues on, I don't know, but he's certainly a men's national team player, now plays down in uh, Mexico and a, a, a longtime, very, very good center defender for the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, I oftentimes saw him and his ability in the air and the fact that he wasn't particularly so, uh, and, and isn't particularly fleet of foot, shall we say. There was a kindred spirit when, uh, when it came to watching him, him play. So there's, there's an example of someone that I looked to and said, yeah, that would have been someone that I would have uh, said approximates the thing that I did. Well, you know, I played a little bit when I was young. Uh, I was I was one of a kind, but I guess if you had to Maradona, there were a little bit of Pele. You're a left footed. Yeah. Are you a left footed? Not right a right footed. You right-footed. are. Yeah. I don't think you can. If you're not left footed, you can't 
compare yourself to Maradona. I, that doesn't work. Yeah, in the we'll same go. way, no, you can't do it for Messi. You have to be left-footed as far as I'm All concerned. Right, we'll go with Pele then, I guess. All right, uh, that is that. <laughs> All right, thanks, as always, for sending those questions with the Ask Alexi hashtag. You can put them on Twitter and Facebook and all the different social platforms out there. And each week, we'll pick a few of them. And who knows? Maybe you'll be on the State of the Union podcast next week. Send them through. Thanks. Moving on. World Cup Update. Yes, it's time. Our World Cup Update, as you heard. We are ready to go. We are, as of today, 99 days away from the World Cup this summer in Russia. Mossy, what are we talking about today on our World Cup update? All right, we're going to delve into this Neymar injury and the potential yes. ramifications for Brazil. Uh, first off, uh, you weren't on the show on Tuesday because no. you were in New York doing your bell ringing thing. Uh, <laughs> and we had a whole chat about in a World Cup year, where should a player's priorities lie? Because there's been this whole tug of war between PSG and, and, and Brazil over Neymar and should he have had the surgery and how should he approach the next few months? Uh, so first of all, let's start there. How do you see, do you think the club that paid all this money for the player has the right to, to expect that the, the player's first priority will be them? Or do you understand, you know, World Cups only come along once every four years while your club seasons you have every year. So do you understand why players on World Cup years are a little bit more concerned about making sure they get themselves healthy for the World Cup? How did you view this with Neymar and in general players in these club first country uh, dilemmas? I, I always had or felt that I had a responsibility when it came to people paying me money to do something, to live up to that contract and to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I do, with, with this caveat, the ability to represent your country for me is, is overriding. And I know that doesn't, that doesn't help an owner or a team or a coach that looks and says, yeah, but I'm paying you a ridiculous amount of money. This should be the priority. So I, I get it. I understand when players make a World Cup a priority. Now, it's, I think it's easier for, for Neymar to do that because of the fact that they're out of Champions League. They'll, they'll wrap up League and nobody really cares. But I don't... Uh, I, I don't see it as anything other than human for a player that has a chance to not just play in the World Cup, but lead Brazil in the World Cup to immediately focus all of that attention on that opportunity. Because you'll, you'll have all the money. That's, that's not going to change. But the, Christian Pulisic right now is thinking, am I ever going to go to a World Cup? And it is always an incredible draw. And the power of playing of a World Cup can supersede fame. It can supersede money. It can supersede a million things. Well, there were two big points of contention. This will lead us into talking about the World Cup. Sure. The, the fact that the Brazil camp came in right away and said he's definitely having surgery. Well, PSG wanted to wait a few days, let him have all the tests first. There was even some thought about waiting until the Real Madrid game, see what happened there. And that could condition his decision because there, there are treatments he could have done to get him back on the field sooner, maybe mm -hmm. less than 100%. And then and the other thing, which has become a big point of contention, is the Brazil doctor coming out and saying it's going to be three months. Uh, nobody thinks it's actually three months. Uh, the feeling is the Brazil doctor only said that because they're already laying the groundwork for Neymar not to play another game for sure. PSG this season, just rest up for the World Cup. Well, PSG feels like if he's healthy enough and we still have games left, we're paying him all this money. He should be back in Paris playing. So there's going to be that issue. But so, you know, a lot of people have been texting me last few days saying, boy, you must be very nervous. I I'm not because the general feeling in Brazil seems to be that it's not going to be three months. He'll be back sooner than that. He'll definitely be ready for the World Cup. But let's say he doesn't play 
any competitive matches between now and then. So he goes into the World Cup in June having not played a competitive match since February. Would you be concerned at all, or is he the type of player that no, can just step right back on the field? I wouldn't be concerned. I think he will benefit from a little time off. I think that he will come back stronger. I think that not just physically, but I think mentally, I think he will gain from having this this time off. Now, this injury, by the way, is very common. It's very common for a lot of soccer players. We talk about it. And really what ends up happening oftentimes is it's like this credit card that just wears down and eventually it breaks. I have a screw in my foot in my left uh, fifth metatarsal. I played with it broken. And this is what gets back to your Neymar thing. I actually played it and it broken because I did it right before the Olympics in 1992. And I was able to tape it and actually play with a cast on my foot. I wore two different size shoes in the Olympics. So I played with this broken fifth metatarsal and then had the surgery after the Olympics. So you can postpone it. And and that's probably where some of this concern that, That's uh, interesting because Unai Emery, who's desperate about losing his job, was still clinging to this notion that Neymar should have played this game against Real Madrid. And a lot of people like me thought, that sounds crazy. The guy has a fractured bone in his foot. But you're telling me it's not that crazy? You could theoretically it's, play no, with this injury? It's not that crazy. And you, could, you cannot... And I'm just telling you that I did. And then immediately after the Olympics... Uh, I went and I had surgery and I had a pin put in and it's actually much stronger than the other uh, the other foot that I have and you you meet a lot of different players that that happen and oftentimes it has nothing to do with contact you're just running around and you turn and it's weight bearing oftentimes and it, it just wears down and eventually it just snaps fractures cracks does does whatever so I have yeah I have an actual screw in my foot this would happen this operation would happen back in 1992 I would hope in in the last 25 plus years that things have gotten better in terms of the medical industry and that and that it, it would it would not take and for me it was probably about three months until I felt like I was back to normal and it's interesting because we saw PSG this week when you build around the player and you're used to everything revolving around him when you take him out even if the other players are generally very good they're they seem out of sorts because they're they're not used to having to assume this responsibility and the same applies to Brazil this summer a lot of people have said to me well you're in much better shape this time around without Neymar than you were in 2014 and that's true because Mm -hmm. the the roster overall is going to be stronger this time around I mean the player who stepped in for Neymar in that 7-1 was Bernard this guy who plays for Shakhtar who Scolari inexperienced we started in that game. I consider it the worst lineup decision in Brazil national team history. He looked like a kid, you know, playing in like a, a grown-ups game, like, you know, a pickup game where somebody brought their kid to just to right. make up the numbers. He was so out of place in that game. And and this time around, it wouldn't be anybody like that. It would be somebody like a Douglas Costa, like you mentioned earlier. He could flip Coutinho to the left side, start William on the right, and then bring in an extra midfielder like Fernandinho. All players we're talking about here are big-time players of major pedigree, so it's not going to be anybody that, that looks out of place playing in a World Cup. But but the facts. But you don't buy the argument that Brazil's no, better the fa- with. I, the, my point is the parallel with PSG applies here. This whole team has been built around Neymar for the last four years, so it, there, there's no chance Brazil are winning the World Cup without him because it would be such a huge shock to not have him, and it, it, people would have to assume roles that they haven't been forced to assume for the last four years. So I think it would be this, a major issue. Yeah, this concept of addition by subtraction often happens when you have big players, but there's big players, and then there's big players, and no matter. How good you think you are as an 11 without one of these big players, when it comes to Neymar, when it comes to Cristiano Ronaldo, when it comes to Messi, these, these, these types of they're, – they're not even – they're super players, if you will. Y- you got to have them on the field because it gives you a chance to win. And uh, for me, at least, and I, and I, I hear you saying from a Brazil standpoint, they got to have them on the field this summer. All right, Mossy, moving on. The back three. All right, coming down the home stretch here, Mossy, uh, our back three. What are we talking about? 
All right, let's start with MLS. Oh, yeah. Uh, opening weekend in the books. Uh, what were your overall impressions? Mossy, so I, I watched opening weekend, the 23rd season of Major League Soccer. And I'm telling you, there were multiple times during the weekend while I was watching games where I turned and said to myself, because I was all alone, I said to myself, self, this is really fun. This is some really good quality soccer. And maybe it's just perception because the league has spent more money and there's this incredible influx of new talent. But I really think that when you look at the way that teams are playing and the quality of competition right now, that this is going to be a uh, a very, very important year. I hope it, that it continues. There were lots of goals, as is the case. MLS is going to MLS in that your defending champs, Toronto, kick off the season and lose at home. Uh, you have the Los Angeles Galaxy, who were horrible last year, coming out of the gate and getting a, uh, a win against, uh, against Portland. You have Atlanta United with all of the attention and the uh, new players that they, uh, that they brought in and the money that they spent uh, and what Atlanta was last year, getting spanked by Houston. This, this league, as I told you, and we've talked about this before, is impossible to predict. But I'll tell you what, the 23rd running of Major League Soccer is off to the races, and I'm in. I am all in because I cannot predict what's going to happen. But I will say this, when it comes to a team like Atlanta or a team like Toronto, uh, or a team like Minnesota, for that matter, who were also abysmal last year, Minnesota's three points out of first. All right? And Columbus, which went to Toronto and won, they're three points out of last. So it's real early days. Anything can happen. And if uh, this weekend is any indication, anything will happen. So looking forward to the rest of uh, MLS as we continue on here. Next up, let's chat Arsenal. Uh, You might recall my Mossy makes the case. Uh, Last time around was about how Arsene Wenger needed to step down. This was coming off an embarrassing League Cup final defeat to Man City. Since then, there's been another embarrassing defeat to Man City. (laughs) A loss to Brighton over the weekend. It's, It's four straight defeats. First time since 2002. Uh, so the calls have only gotten louder. Uh, now they do have uh, still a chance to get into the Champions League through the Europa League. I think top four is out the window. Uh, w- would that perhaps entice them to stay? Do you, do you see any world where Arsene Wenger would come back next season or do you think the it's just too far gone at this point? Just when we think that there are no more worlds to see, Mossy, we find another world. Arsenal, just when we think they've hit rock bottom, we find another bottom. There's a hidden bottom when it comes to Arsenal. And it it never stops because it's not just one layer, it's two layers. And so when we think we're there, no, no, there's always, they can always do worse at Arsenal. They should put that on one of their uh, advertisements. They can always do worse. Uh, no, it, it would not surprise me at all if, regardless if they win Europa, that Arsene Wenger continues on. They have made it very, very clear that until he decides it's time to go, and he's been pretty clear about it's not time to go yet, that nothing's going to happen. You think that this is really the moment? Is this is it, have we finally reached that moment? I think if they don't make the Champions League, uh, he he might be compelled. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Europa League, they have a massive round of sixteen tie against AC Milan. Uh, we're taping this, like I said, on a Wednesday. You'll be calling tomorrow's yep. first leg at the San Siro. AC Milan are flying, unbeaten in thirteen. Got Tuso, who I always thought was the ultimate meathead, and there was a joke that he was a coach. Somehow has turned them around. Uh, they've got this young striker Cutroni, who I love, Chalianolu, Suso. Uh, Kessie, Biglia, they're all playing great. Bonucci at the back, obviously Donnarumma in goal. So uh, I think they arguably come in as slight favorites in this tie. And so if Arsenal go out here, then, you know, the Champions League is definitely gone. I don't know. I think Wenger might be compelled to 
I, I don't want them to go anywhere because it just gives me so much interesting and delightful type of content to uh, to talk about. But I mean, if it hasn't happened before, I don't see why it's going to happen now. And incidentally, the manager I like, there's been a million names tossed around as who would yeah. theoretically step in for him. I like the Monaco manager, Leonardo Jardine. There's some symmetry there because Wenger coached at Monaco many years ago, and I, I think he's perfect for Arsenal. So if, if Wenger does go, to me, that's the guy they should... All right, so in... Uh... 2036, you want them to hire Jardine, right? <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, no, it's uh, it's not happening. So, yeah, okay, it's not happening. All right, we'll end on perhaps an even more depressing note, uh, PSG. So, uh, <laughs> Way to finish with a bang here, all right. So they go out to Real Madrid. That's uh, You saw this great uh, graphic that foxsoccer.com put up. Uh, they spent $1.2 billion over the last uh, mm-hmm. six seasons and uh, haven't made it past the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They were out in the round of 16 for the second straight season. So the deal with Unai Emery is uh, his contract is up after the season, so they don't even have to fire him. They're just not going to bring him back. And the French media is already talking as if that's a given. So I guess my question would be, I'm of the opinion, I know it's a tough case to make this week, but they're not miles away. They, they, if they get a top coach and tweak that squad a little bit, I, I still think that they have a chance to get over that hump in the next couple of years. Uh, are you there, or do you think, no, this team's a complete fraud, and they're, 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 they're miles away? Because they're taking a beating, as you might suspect, in the media the last couple well, of years. Well, they should take, take a beating because I think they underperformed. And right. so that's, to answer your question, is no, they're not miles away in terms of the talent that they have. They should... And I'm not saying they need to win every single game, but what disappointed me, as I mentioned earlier, was it's not that they lost; it's that they gave up. There, there was there was nothing. It was capitulation in terms of the way that they went about it. And yes, it's Real Madrid, and I get I get that whole experience, and and they're they're feeling it. But you never really got the sense that that PSG was going to be in it. But remember, leading up to it. And I don't want to misquote you here, but I think at one point you said it would not it would not surprise me in the least. And this this is not over. This is not over. Well, we come to find out, yeah, it was over, and it was over pretty much from the opening whistle of that game. So you're saying I made a foolish case that week when I said that? No, no, I'm not saying no. I'm saying that you talked about things and we get, you gave your opinion, which is what we do. Should we rename that segment? Mossy makes a stupid case. Um, <laughs> that, that, that would be good. But let me, no. let me just say, I, I, this whole thing, because it plays into the whole Neymar thing, the idea is obviously for Neymar to lead them to the Champions League. I don't think he's going to Real Madrid. I don't believe any of those rumors. He's staying. It didn't have to, have to happen in year one. Listen, Neymar is still going to be in his prime for the next couple of years and Mbappe is only going to keep getting better. So uh, I don't think this whole project is a so failure. It's a project. Because it's it didn't project, happen. No. But that's no, not but what it, they are. But it's, very, it's not a project. The, the issue the issue they're going to have is I do think they need to tweak that squad, and they don't have a lot of wiggle room with financial fair play. I'm not sure they're going to be able to – you notice they, they needed a defensive midfielder in January. They had to get Lasana Diara from the United Arab Emirates on a free transfer. They couldn't even buy – That's creative. Uh, and, that's and, creative. Yeah. And so, so that's going to be an issue. But they can at least upgrade the coach, and they will. Uh, Unai Emery uh, – remember, when this whole project started six, seven years ago, the first coach they hired was Ancelotti. So they had the right idea, but then Ancelotti left for Real Madrid. And the past five seasons, they've had Lauren Blanco, I was not a big fan of, and Unai Emery. To me, two coaches who this job was too big for them. So now this is their chance to go out this summer and get somebody really good with pedigree and, and maybe upgrading the coach they can... Well, so this is where they're, where we'll finish off here. And I have, a, I have a question for you. Warren and I were talking about, Warren Barton uh, and I were talking about it. When it comes to a team like PSG, all right, I think we've both made the, the case and believe that there is plenty of talent there. And you say they need to upgrade in terms of getting a coach. 
if Pep came in there, all right, given that talent, would they be a better team? Oh, of course. What do you mean, of course? Just, just because he's Pep? Yeah, he's a much better coach than Unai Emery. Is that a controversial statement? No, it's not. It's not a controversial statement. My my point is that you know, oftentimes when we talk about these elite teams and these elite co- coaches, the fact is that they are in, in incredible positions to have incredible talent to work with. And nowadays, the first question that any manager asks when they walk in is, "How much money do I have to spend?" You know, and that whole coach them up type of philosophy sometimes. It, it, the way I see it, oftentimes gets gets overlooked. For example, if you here's, here's here's my final question for you: If you took all of the EPL players and you had a draft, all right, same coaches that they have right now, managers that they have right now, you had a draft, and so everybody got to pick, and so everybody was spread out equally. Would Pep still win in that type of scenario? Not necessarily. I think his team would play the but most. But if he's like, so great, Mossy, then why wouldn't it? I wouldn't think, wouldn't I think, the cream rise to the top and no, it really doesn't matter? I think his team would play the most attractive football if you gave everybody equal talent because I think there he really does have an influence in his philosophy and how he No, but isn't his attractive but, football predicated on the fact that for the most part they're going to be playing against inferior talent and therefore they can get reps and constantly be doing that? Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think, I think if you took 11 players off the street and gave him to Pep, he could still get him to play like a neat possession. So I do think he has a certain knack for that. So I don't, I don't, I don't think he's only able to do that because he has great players. I w- I, look, I know it's never going to happen, but I would love to see some of these people that we hold in such high regard and esteem. And, and, and not, not unfairly. I think they, they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for what they do. And there is something to said for the ability – at the elite level to be able to control all those personalities and get them to think. But I would love to see this test tube type of situation where we really found out who the good coaches were. And it would work the same, uh, the opposite way. So a Bob Bradley would also be involved in something like that where he was given the exact same players as Pep. And then they had to coach him. And then we'd see who the real coaches are. Because for me, what coaching is is taking the same group of players that somebody else has and making them better because of what you do. Not going out and buying more talent or having the best talent around. I'm going to let that Pep Bob Bradley comparison go, but (laughs) I'll end on this note. Uh, If PSG need a manager this summer, Arsene Wenger might be available. Whoa, that's a wonderful way to finish it off. All right, folks. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. As we always do, finish it with our one big thing from today's podcast. We started out talking about video review, VAR. This is going to be something that we are going to be talking about for a long time. It, for me, was designed to make the game better. It is going to make the game better. It is going to still keep plenty of those wonderful magic moments. But The game that David Mossy, that you love, that your father loves, that I love, that uh, all the people out there that are listening right now, I, I would have to say, it's going to change. And either you change with it or you don't. Either you're a dinosaur and you die off or you say, you know what? The game is changing. I'm going to have to change with it. And the way that I view the game is going to have to change. And if you can't accept that, that's fine. But you'll, you know what happened to the dinosaurs? They died out. And your kids will be watching a game of soccer in a very, very different way. And there will be remnants of the past, but for the most part, it will be a new game in the way that it's played, in the way that it's coached, in the way that it's refereed, and probably ultimately in the way that it's viewed by supporters. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That ultimately, for me, is progress 
and evolution. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Mossy, anything to say before we head out? No, that's it. That's it. Oh, words of wisdom from David Mossy there. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening uh, to the podcast, the State of the Union podcast, each and every week. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and all of the different platforms out there. We ask you to subscribe and to review and to rate. Hit us up with all those questions with the Ask Alexi hashtag, and we will hopefully get some of those questions on air. And that's about it for this week. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe. And as always, size the day. <laughs>